I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Coffee with Coaches presented by a Quick Timeout Podcast. I'm Coach Tony Miller, and as always, alongside me is Coach Andrew Wingreen. If you follow the show at all, you know that Dr. Dish has played a really big part in keeping us going each week. And today's extra special because our guest is a member of the Dr. Dish team. Jefferson Mason is senior brand manager and resident skill trainer at Dr. Dish. Jefferson, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me. You know, I'm I'm always willing to get up early in the morning and talk basketball. What, no better way to start your day, right? Absolutely. So your career, basketball related, and then also kind of how you ended up Dr. Dish. And interesting just because basketball, sometimes we think of or we tell the young people sometimes you're going to play maybe if you're fortunate college ball, you know, super small chance that you play professional. But then once you're done, you got to go out and you got to get a real job. You've got a real job, but it includes basketball. So how did the two merge together? Yeah, you know what? It's pretty crazy. I talk to kids about this all the time. They think that they're going to play basketball until they're 90 years old. And you can, but it might be in a, you know old men's rec league. But, um, you know, for me, pretty young, I realized that basketball was, uh, you know, simply a platform or a propeller for, you know, me to do other things that I wanted in life. Um, and ironically, um, you know, I was doing a little bit of training and uh, running some basketball clinics. Um, towards the end of uh, my professional basketball career. So I would come back uh, in the summers to be with my family and whatnot between my overseas seasons. And I got hooked up with the Minnesota Timberwolves and Lynx Youth Academy. So I started uh, helping out as one of their assist, you know, coaches within the camps for the youth and then kind of moved up pretty quickly to being one of the directors of, of the camp. So we would do you know usually third through eighth grade we would have Zach Levine camps and Lindsey Whalen camps during the summer, and I started leading those. Um, I met a gentleman by the name of Nick Bartlett, who you guys know, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, through that. So he uh, was just starting kind of in his basketball career, just graduated, uh, and he was looking to get involved. So he was uh, one of the coaches uh, with me at several of the camps. So we met one summer and did all that good stuff. I continued to play basketball. Uh, he continued on his journey, you know, uh, trying to work in the NBA and, and doing some other coaching. Uh, and then he got the gig at uh, Dr. Dish. I'm sure, you know, you guys have either talked or you will uh, down the line about that. But um, as they started really getting things rolling, I had just retired from playing professionally overseas. So um, I randomly got an email one day from Nick saying, hey, I don't know if you remember me, uh, but we did some camps and whatnot together. We're looking for a guy that can do you know, a million things for us, you know, some on-court stuff, develop drills, build partnerships, so on and so forth. And you were the first guy that popped up in my head. And I was like, wow, that's pretty awesome. You know, we, we stayed in touch a little bit, but um, I thought it was pretty cool that, you know, he remembered me from a few years prior. So um, I said, heck, this sounds pretty interesting. I had never really heard of Dr. Dish at the time. You know, this was over four years ago now. Uh, but he said, you know, come meet with our CEO and, and see what he has to see. And I met our CEO, Doug Campbell, and um, he was absolutely fantastic. His vision for where he wanted this to go and where he thought I could, uh, you know, help out and bring my skill set was amazing. So they gave me the opportunity. I jumped on board and, and now, you know, a little over four years, here we are. 
Yeah, such a cool story. Just seeing how how your connections kind of brought you to where you are today, and now being a skills trainer uh, with Dr. Dish. And um, for you guys who haven't haven't read Jefferson's blogs on the Dr. Dish website, um, he's had a couple of really good ones recently about uh, training mistakes and improving your shot. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But just kind of want to start out with some of these you know mistakes, common mistakes and errors that maybe players do or trainers do as they go into the gym and work out. Um, but one thing is I see, you know, as a college coach, sometimes guys come in the gym and man, the first thing, depending on the guy, but most guys, the first thing they do is they, they pick up a basketball, they start shooting threes. Um, they just, you know, they have a little fun. There's not a whole lot of uh, balance or anything correct going on just for the first few minutes. But uh, as you kind of talked about, that could be a, a, a potential mistake going forward. And just maybe talk a little bit about that mindset of a player coming into a workout and how do we eliminate those things? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can tell you myself that I was guilty of, of that majority of, of my career, just getting in the gym and throwing up shots and then, um, you know, also just getting out there running around. And it didn't really click to me um, as a player until I was playing professionally when I remember we were playing in Germany uh, in a city called Kralsheim, uh, and I was warming up doing my regular thing. Uh, which was pretty, pretty perfected at that moment in time, but had an older gentleman, I think he was about 38 years old, and I seen him warming up, and he literally for the first 10, 15 minutes was five feet from the rim uh, or in, just working on his form shooting, uh, just working on his short shot, and then he continued to move his way out, and I thought that was pretty unique because usually guys get out there, they start launching threes, they start you know doing some downhill action, they want to get warm. Uh, guys like me were doing dunks because I was, you know, super athletic and I knew the crowd wanted to see that. Uh, but I saw him doing his form shooting. Well, heck, come game time, the guy was lights out shooter. Uh, and I would never forget that, you know, to the day that I died. And so I did a lot of research in it and talked to a lot of other great shooters about, you know, some of the things that they did, um, you know, to become great shooters. And one of the things that I think a lot of people talk about now is just form shooting in general. Uh, when I have players come into the gym to work out with me, the first thing they want to do is, is shoot a whole bunch of, you know, uh, long jump shots or three-point shots or they're doing crazy layups. And, you know, I understand that kids want to have fun, but I always tell them, slow yourself down. Uh, as we get going here, we're going to work on our form shooting. We're really going to step in and concentrate on focusing and looking and seeing what we're doing correctly and what we're not. Uh, and so I bring the, the players in right away. We start working on that and immediately they can notice some of the mistakes that they're making. And if you do that consistently every single time you're working with a player and then you really, really push them to do that on their own, uh, they start to build good habits. And then you can start to see them autocorrect themselves, which I say all the time uh, when they're shooting a little bit further out, they start to make the adjustments that you talk about closer in. So I think form shooting. Uh, just starting workouts is huge. And for me, it's helped me uh, help correct a lot of uh, player shots that have been really dysfunctional, but then also at the same token have, you know, fine uh, things that we need to tune up. So, I mean, the form shooting piece is huge, just slowing down, getting the gym and really focusing on those things before you get into anything else. One other mistake that I com I commonly see with guys is, you know, they come in one speed, maybe they're, uh, you know, not, not going at game speed, but they're kind of going at workout speed or they just don't change and don't change their pace. But what would you say about those, those guys who come in and, you know, just kind of work at one speed and they don't practice a game like shots? Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest thing I always tell players, I don't care if you're uh, non-athletic and you move slow, or if you're one of the most athletic and you move fast, you still have to play with a change of pace. You have to play with pace. And the biggest thing is, is that 
Um, you know, when you get into a game, it's chaotic, right? Everything about the game is chaotic. You're doing your transition, your full court, your half court. There's so many different things that come into factor. You're never running the same speed the entire game. You may have a comfortable speed, but that doesn't mean you're going to stay there the entire time. And so when we operate with our shooting, when we operate with the basketball in our hand, when we operate uh, coming off the screens, or even on the defensive end, you're going to be changing your pace, right? Uh, and so understanding pace is huge. Players don't really understand that at a young age. They, they just go, 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 go. A lot of times young coaches will say, go hard, go hard, go hard, go hard. And you have kids that are going a million miles per hour, and it's not really helping them do anything. It doesn't even matter if they're super athletic. It catches up to them. And so that pace piece is huge. Now, in terms of uh, your training and going hard, it's very similar. A lot of a lot of girls and boys will get into, um, you know, a basic rhythm of how they want to shoot. Uh, and they go through that every single time, which is not bad because you'll shoot at that pace sometime during the game. But likewise, you're probably going to have to speed up or move around or do something a little bit differently. So I work on a ton of stationary shooting. I work on a ton of rhythm shooting. I work on a ton of uh, different footworks going into the shot. And naturally, with those fine nuances, uh, you're going to have to change your pace and your speed just even with your shot. Now, once you get into individual moves and you're attacking downhill, you're going to have to change your pace and your speed uh, quite often. And so if you're getting in the gym and you're just moving at a slow pace because it's comfortable, uh, there's nobody there to hold you accountable. You know, are you going to get a little bit better? Yeah, of course, you're getting some reps up, but you're not actually going to do things that are translating to the actual game. And so what I like to do is I like to challenge players to think of different situations that they've been in the game where they've had athletic defenders that have pushed up on them, defenders that have sagged off, teams that have really packed the lane, and how difficult it was for them to either get a shot off or get to the, to the hoop. And so when you start to paint these pictures for players, they start to realize like, hey, one size does not fit all. I have to be able to navigate and change some things. And so when we get into the gym and I train, I tell the players, hey, I need you to move a little bit quicker on this one. I need you to slow down your pace a little bit. We're not going to rush our shot, but we're going to make sure that we get into our shot a little bit quicker. We'll change our footwork here or there so that when the game uh, comes and it's chaotic, they feel a little bit more comfortable in the things that they're doing and then operating at different paces. How about as far as length of practice goes? I, I think there's this idea that more is always better kind of in our society. But what should a, a workout look like as far as the, the time? And like you said, what am I incorporating into that workout so that I'm getting maximum reps, but that I'm also not maybe practicing poorly or practicing fatigue that could end up causing me problems long, long term? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there there comes a point in time within a workout or a practice where uh, players will mentally turn off or their bodies will just kind of break down and then you'll lose them. Now, you want to build up so that you can go a little bit longer, uh, but there's a certain length, you know, of, of you get to about two hours and then it's you're, you're kind of pushing the wire as far as practices and some of those things go. Now, that situation is a little bit different than individual training because in practices, you're not the main focus the entire time your entire team is, and you're also doing, you know, a multitude of things that you have to run through. But when you're in an individual workout, you know, keeping it within that 45 to hour range, especially for youth players, is a pretty good time frame. Just being that um, a lot of times towards the end of that training session, if you're really working on skill development and you're challenging the players, they're usually going to be very frustrated at that moment in time. 
And as skills trainers and coaches alike, when you're working with players individually or in small groups, your goal is to help them understand what you want, but never in that one setting are you going to perfect what they're doing. You know, you have some kids uh, that are a rarity that will pick up things right away and you're like, holy moly, like you're doing that great. That's awesome. And we correct it or we learn it in that one session. But more than likely, the player is going to have to go off on their own, be able to autocorrect, work on it, come back, get that feedback and go again. And so what I like to do is designate, you know, several things that we're going to focus on within a workout, give myself 15 to 20 minutes to really thoroughly be able to uh, explain it, let the player go through the reps, absorb it make a few mistakes, get frustrated with it, and then we move on. And even though they're like, no, I want to do it a couple more times, I tell them, now it's on you to go on your own and work on that stuff. If you forget it or you're struggling, shoot me a text, send me a video, so on and so forth. But we're going to move on to the next thing. And so a lot of that is a mental piece too because players will understand like, okay, that didn't go perfect like I wanted it to, but we're going to move on and we're going to learn and we're going to continue to get better. But I also want to leave on my own time and I want to work on that stuff and get better as well. So it's a it's a trust process with the trainer. It's a trust process with the coach uh, and the player that you have to work through and understanding that there are certain limits that players get to where, you know, mentally they may tune off or turn off or they may be overly frustrated. How you go about managing that is going to be huge for the player's success. What would you say? So, you know, we talk about the, you know, the trainers kind of helping with this routine and this game plan, but you know, a lot of kids, a lot of players don't always have access to a coach or to a, to a trainer. And maybe they do every once in a while, but a lot of these workouts, you know, are going to be on their own. Like you said, like they're going to be in the gym with the doctor dish by themselves, or they're going to be out in the driveway by themselves. What advice would you give to a kid who maybe doesn't have full-time access to a trainer on how to organize and plan uh, his workout? So he's not sitting out there for two, three hours, just pointlessly doing drills. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think every day you should have a different goal in hand that you want to hit. Um, one of the worst things to do is to, to go into a workout and not have any goals. Uh, there's different type of workouts that players can have. I mean, you have some where you're just really trying to work on specific moves or individual moves, um, and you're not going to do a ton of shooting. You know, Not every single workout is cookie cutter, but for the most part, you're going to obviously get some shots up. You're going to try to hit some goals and make some goals. What that does is it holds players accountable. If you go through, you know, you get players to a certain level and then you go through a certain amount of drills and you're telling them, hey, shoot six shots, seven shots, eight shots. That's a decent goal to have. But at the end of the day, the player is just working towards that six or seven shots. I know because I used to do that myself. I got to that six or seven rep and I'm, I know that I'm done, right? I'm going to move to the next one. But when you tell players, hey, we're going to make three shots or four shots or six shots or seven shots, any random number like that, you can see that it mentally affects them a little bit more because it's holding them accountable to do the uh, trust the process and do it correctly every single time. And if they don't do it correctly, then they're going to continue to add more reps on. And so when I played, I remember our coach saying, hey, you guys need to make eight reps and we would get to six or seven and that six, that seventh or eighth rep seemed to be so much harder than it was if we didn't have to make that shot. But what we were doing was we were holding ourselves accountable, making sure that we were actually going hard every single rep. Because if we dilly-dallied or we played around, we would keep going and on and on and on. Obviously, that wouldn't look good for us, and we were wasting time. So setting those goals is a great way to hold yourself accountable on the court and then off the court as well. You know, being able to track those numbers. That's why our shooting machines have, I think, blown up so much is because when you're able to look at the numbers, set goals, achieve those numbers, and track, 
you know, analytically, you're going to be able to see your progress over time. And so say I get into a, a shooting workout that I found online or I've developed myself or I've gotten from, you know, one of our databases at Dr. Dish Basketball, I can see myself and how well I'm getting through each one of those shooting drills. So, you know, if it's a hundred shot drill and it's taking me 200 shots, well, then I know my goal next time is I want to get under 200. I want to get to 195 and I want to continue to increase those percentages. If you start to see yourself going the opposite way, well, then we have an issue. I have a problem. But I tell this to my pro players that come in all the time. If we just get in the gym and we think we sh we're shooting and we're doing good, we really don't know where our strengths and weaknesses are, right? For the longest, I thought I was a great corner shooter. Turns out that that was probably the worst place I could ever shoot at. And I found out later in my career when it when it was exposed to me. But I do that to a lot of players, even the highest and the lowest level, because they think in their head, hey, I've made this shot before. I do it or I get in the gym and I throw stuff up. But they don't realize that the numbers tell something different. And so we want to expose that, um, you know, not in a negative way, but bring it to light so they know, hey, these are things that we need to focus on. Get in the gym, set a goal for yourself, see if you can achieve it, and then we want to be better at that every day. You've mentioned a couple guys that I've seen just having watched the game over a period of time that have gone from becoming or from being average shooters to being above average shooters, and some of them take that next step to become great shooters. And I want to know what causes that jump other than they work hard. Yeah, a lot of it is the mental piece of it. So uh, when you when you get into your shooting and you get to a certain age, it's very, very, very difficult to adjust your shot. Uh, there's only a few players in the NBA that have really, really successfully been able to do that. One I'll name is Jason Kidd. Uh, you know, if you watched him in, in the latter part of his career, he had kind of a robotic shot, but he made it. Uh, coming into the NBA, he was not known as a shooter. He did not shoot the ball uh, terribly well, but he made a lot of adjustments and he took a lot of uh, you know, a lot of reps, uh, practice quite a bit, but he evolved his shot in the NBA at a higher level, which is extremely difficult to do. But a lot of that stuff, you know, with talking with my pro players is a mental piece of it. So, you know, you can perfect the player's form, uh, but, you know, when they're going through stages throughout the year or even in their personal life where there's a lot of mental pieces holding them down or holding them back, it affects them on the basketball court. And so confidence is huge. Now, this isn't confidence given to you by your coaches. That's where um, a lot of people that, you know, I hear speak on podcasts, they get it mixed up. They say, coaches, make sure that you um, are, are, are helping your players be confident in themselves and you're being positive, so on and so forth. Does that help? 110%. But majority of coaches aren't always like that, right? They get into that lull of, of you know, the more of the angry or the aggressive or the yelling coach because that's how they feel they can reach with kids naturally young kids their mental goes down because of it but if you can help players understand that no matter what coach is saying no matter what the people in the crowd are saying or the families my parents no matter what they're saying i have to remain confident in myself because of the work that i put on the court mentally they're going to be a lot better and so once you get to a point where you know your shot is is looking good your form is great you know you've put in the work trusting yourself no matter if you think I missed two shots, coach is going to take me out, or if I have the green light, is a big thing because that's why people go through shooting slumps. So, you know, what I like to do is I like to train players mentally. Um, you know, and we've worked with a lot of people um, that, you know, do the mental piece of basketball. I'm not a professional at it, but just talking to players about, you know, their greatness and imagining shots going in and cool things like that so that when they get frustrated, they can revert back to that and really feel confident in who they are 
the amount of time they put in on the on the court. I know one thing that I've always loved to, you know, to tell shooters, whether they're good shooters or they're in a slump or whatever is, you know, the next one's always going in. And I want players yeah. to always believe, hey, the next shot's going in, whether you're 0 for 9 or if you're 6 for 6, whatever it might be, next one's going in. And, and is there any type of, you know, you, you talk about training your player's mindset. Is there anything, maybe a, a phrase, because I know with the mental skills, sometimes it's good to have a phrase you go to, but is there something that you tell players uh, that they can kind of keep in the back of their minds as they're as they're shooting. Well, you know what? Honestly, I I use two words, and and you know, uh, it takes a while to explain, but I usually just say I can, and you can add in anything that you want after that. I can, you know, I can be a great defender. I can be a great shooter. I am a great shooter. You know, just letting that player reaffirm themselves and what they're doing. You know, oftentimes, even you know, I have three kids myself, and I tell my kids they're great you're beautiful, you're great, you're awesome, and whatnot. And they hear it, they smile, they absorb it. But I also tell them to repeat it themselves because I want them to really truly believe that within their own hearts. And so when I train players a lot of times too, I tell them, you are great, now tell yourself you're great. And so when they start to reaffirm themselves, they start to build that within. Uh, And so that ultimately leads to more confidence come game time. You know, it's difficult because – there are some players that naturally just have that mindset of like, no matter where I'm at, what situation I'm in, it does not bother me. I've had teammates like that, but I've also had teammates where it's like one thing goes wrong and it throws them for a complete loop. And I'm like, this is a tremendous player, but their mind is all messed up. And I'm sure we've, we've talked with we, you guys have probably talked about that before amongst each other. But part of that is, is, the player not reaffirming themselves in, in understanding that they are good enough uh, in basketball and life in general. So I like to continue to affirm that to, to players, even when they're making states like mistakes, like you are going to get this. You will be great at this. This will become something you're elite at. Tell yourself that right now we're not there, but continue to say that, go on and work and then come back. And then we'll just keep going from there. So then when they want to try that, uh, with their friends or an open gym or in practice or in a game, which ultimately they'll have to do, they feel confident in it no matter what. Even if somebody says, oh, that wasn't great, they know, like, I put in the time, I feel more positive with it, and I've said that to myself and I've heard it also as well, so I'm going to go out and go do it. As we kind of wind things down, I want you to talk about the Dr. Dish shooting machine in the context of drills because there are so many things that you could potentially do, especially with the dish. Um, kind of maybe talk about the uniqueness of it. There's other shooting machines that are out there. I know a lot of coaches listen to this. Some of them don't have a shooting machine right now. Others they do, and they maybe don't know how to use it other than just popping out balls to a shooter to shoot, catch and shoot shots. There's so many more creative things that you can do with it. It's difficult to kind of talk, especially if people are listening to this on the podcast, but it's difficult to explain a drill, but maybe just talk about how to use it. And then if you can explain a couple of your favorite drills, things that the kids can do, because again, we talked about this from the standpoint of there are parents that are using this in driveways with kids, and maybe they are just popping out balls and just letting them shoot it. But what are some, some more creative things that they could be doing with a shooting machine or with their shooting drills? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the main thing is there's a million bazillion shooting drills that you can do individually, small group using the machine. And and that's always priority number one. I think shooting is the essential skill in basketball right now. But we specifically designed our shooting machines to encompass all skill sets. So we're talking agility, 
ball handling, conditioning, so on and so forth. So, you know, our machines are unique because it comes with um, a cloud database or training management system that hosts over 150, 200 different drills. We're talking individual drills, small group drills, team drills from some of the best college coaches in the country right now. Um, and every player is going to have access with our shooting machine. So it doesn't matter if you have, you know, our all-star, if you have our CT, if you have our home unit that we just launched about a year ago, you're going to have access to all these different drills. Well, within those drills, we have ball handling. We have a ton of different things. We've partnered with uh, a ton of different uh, high-level skill trainers amongst the trainers that we have at Dr. Dish. And within each one of those drills, you're going to get some really cool pro tips some teaching and whatnot. So it's not necessarily that the drills are designed. It's everything that comes behind it. So if I'm a young player and I want to work on a specific ball handling move, I can go into the Dr. Disc system. I can select that workout and I can hear from a professional trainer, uh, um, a, a college coach, a high school coach on how to master that drill. They'll give me the feedback and then I'll go out there on the machine and do it. If you have our CT, you're going to see right on that 15.6-inch HUD screen exactly what to do. So you're going to follow along almost like Peloton, to be honest with you. And then if you have any of our other models, you're either going to have our player app, which you can view on your phone, um, or our all-star app, which you can view on your phone as well. So you're going to get that actual real-time view um, of what you're doing uh, in that drill so you're not lost at all. So you can learn on your own. The other thing is, is every single one of our drills, there's a goal associated with it. So you're going to have to take a certain amount of shots. You're going to have to streak a certain amount of shots in a row or make per location. So we're really challenging players to get out of their comfort zone and then on the back end track everything that they're doing. And so players now can look over the, the course of their entire history within our system from day one until now. They can look, you know, the last 30 days or the last week and really see their progress over time and see where they're getting better, see where their weaknesses are. And so these analytics, uh, this extra, um, you know, curriculum and teaching that we're providing really gives that home setting, uh, that in the gym setting by yourself uh, and takes it to a, a couple levels up. Because like you said, a lot of players don't have access to a trainer like myself or a Jordan Lolly or a DJ Sackman, but with our systems, you'll have that. We're uploading new stuff, you know, every single month that players will be able to view. So the system in itself was built to encompass every skill for a player, give every player an opportunity to really enhance their skills to the highest level and be the best version of themselves. Let me just take a moment to kind of encourage the coaches that are listening to this, because as a coach, I know how this often works. We find our favorite drills and we use those to death. And especially as a college coach, by the midway point of the season, or especially the last fourth of the season, we're doing the same drills. And what I've found is that players end up just getting into this robotic. We just go through the drills. And yeah. I'll put a plug in right now for the actual website that Jefferson and I both contribute to. We're putting out drills constantly there. And if you're looking for ideas for things, don't waste time trying to make things up. Just go and find some resources there on the site. You can find all kinds of drills that you can do with or without a dish. Um, it would be helpful if you had the doctor dish, but not necessary. But, you know, I'll, I'll even mention this. Some of us think you've talked about like the ball handling and other things you can do. I'll go back to just the shooting component of it. One of the things that I love about it is the fact that you don't just have to stick it underneath of the net 
and it shoot it and it pops out balls to you. You can move that thing around and work with post players. You can use it on the wing to pass to a coach that passes to somebody else. You can get really creative with it. And again, I have found that during individual workouts, the more create creativity you use with it, the more players stay engaged. So if for no other reason, keep them engaged with, with these additional drills and resources that you can get online. We'll go ahead and finish up with that. Jefferson, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Ton of great information. And it was awesome to finally meet you. Yeah, I really do appreciate you guys. I'm always willing to talk basketball. So anytime you want me on again, let me know. I'll blabble on and on and on. You have to kick me off. But thanks again. I really do appreciate your guys' time. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out. Thank you.